When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. number of things you look forward to talking about this uh, this show. Um, one of them being uh, the story I read yesterday about mental health. And in particular, there is some belief now that oh, there's a whole bunch of people seeking out therapists that don't necessarily need a therapist. They just need someone to talk to. They need a friend. There are so many people, so many Americans that just don't have a friend that they interact with, another human being they interact with, that they're seeking out therapy to get the perfectly normal human need met of having someone to talk to. That's why there's such a a lack of therapists out there, which is a pretty interesting notion that we're all paying to have close friends to talk to because we don't have them anymore, which is highly troubling. Anyway, we'll get to more on that later. I wanted to give you a little, this is a little flavor of Chris Christie from his town hall last night on the day that the former governor of New Jersey announced he's running for president again. A little flavor of his strategy here. I've seen some of the press coverage of me getting ready to run. And there's this thing like, Christie doesn't really care about winning. All he cares about doing is destroying Trump. Now let me ask you something. How are those two things mutually exclusive? If I came out here and railed for 15, 20 minutes with Nikki Haley, you all would leave going, is he nuts? (laughs) Hasn't he, like, read the papers? Doesn't he know Trump's leading? There is one lane to the Republican nomination, and he's in front of it. And if you want to win, you better go right through him. Because let me guarantee you something from knowing him for 22 years, everybody. He's going to try to go through me. And he's going to try to go through Ron. 
and Nikki and Tim and anybody else who stands in his way. And you've watched this show. I mean, to me, this show looks like it's on reruns now. This is like watching Seinfeld. I thought that was really interesting, him uh, taking on that whole, he's just in it to be a wrecking ball and take on Trump. Well, if you want to get the nomination, the the guy that's going to stop you from getting the nomination is Donald Trump. So, yeah, I guess I'll take on the guy that is the main thing standing in my way, which is a pretty good angle on that. Chris Christie, as Joe was just saying uh, last hour, is really good at talking, which is a pretty good qualification for running for president. Now, uh, Mark Thiessen in the Washington Post is a really good observer of Republican politics. He had a breakdown of the Republican electorate in his column that uh, laid out this way, which I thought was pretty good. He believes, looking at polling, that about 25% of Republicans are hardcore Trump supporters, about 25%, which, by the way, might be enough alone to get you the nomination. Then you've got about 50% who are Trump-friendly, but not really hardcore Trump supporters. They would go with somebody else given the opportunity, but, you know, If Trump's the guy, that's fine, which is a big number of people. Then you've got about 25% of Republicans that are never Trumpers. They're just not going to vote for Trump no matter what. If those numbers are correct, and they probably aren't far off, it's going to be hard for Donald Trump to lose, especially if he gets ahead of steam coming up out of uh, Iowa and New Hampshire. Oh, and there's a reason Chris Christie kicked off in New Hampshire last night. He's uh, He doesn't think Iowa is his place, his place to... To stop Trump and uh, and make a run is going to be in New Hampshire. Have we fixed Joe's microphone? I hear clicking around. Good. Not exactly. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm working from the home studio today, partly because we're having a giant landscaping project done. And uh, evidently they put a shovel right through the uh, the master internet line. So that's just delightful. Of course, it wasn't Mark. And he's gone. Oh, it was fun while it lasted. Um, let's get to that next Chris Christie clip where he's taking off Trump, on Trump a little more directly. The person I am talking about who is obsessed with the mirror, who never admits a mistake, who never admits a fault, and who always finds someone else and something else to blame for whatever goes wrong, but finds every reason to take credit for anything that goes right is Donald Trump. So that is way more, even though that's not particularly harsh commentary on Donald Trump from Chris Christie, um, that is more direct than any of the other candidates have been willing to do. Here's a little more. Whether it's Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Mike Pence or Tim Scott, no one wants to say it. They want to cuddle up next to him, not let him get mad at them, and hope that people say, all right, well, I don't like him, but I'll take one of those. Let me tell you, everybody. If this choice in this primary is between Trump and Trump light, Trump wins. And I'm looking up at the TV shows that are following uh, politics today. They're doing their political segment, and everybody's got a little headshot of Chris Christie. As we've said before, the mainstream media is going to love Chris Christie being out there beating up on Donald Trump. So he's going to get outsized coverage. He's going to get way more attention than other 1% candidates are going to get just because the media has the same feeling about Trump that Chris Christie does, and they're going to want to amplify those statements. So that's how that works. Uh, Van Jones, liberal commentator, but smart guy on CNN on Chris Christie's candidacy. This is 92, Michael. Chris Christie can say whatever he wants to. He has nothing to lose. He is like 0% chance of winning, and he is a household name. So if he continues to do what he's doing, 
uh, he's not going to get the nomination. But you finally have somebody in this race that's not scared of Donald Trump. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he gets any foothold whatsoever. Uh, if you buy that idea that you got 25% of Republicans that are never Trumpers, does he get a chunk of those? Or are there way too many other options out there? I don't I don't really know. we got a long, dang way to go. <laughs> long, dang way to go. There's going to be, uh, I'm assuming a lull is coming here soon. So we've had, what, five people officially get in the race in the last 10 days? With Tim Scott and Chris Christie and Mike Pence and that governor from North Dakota, who I should probably memorize his name, he's officially getting in today. And um, I think once everybody's in, I think it's 11 now. I think everybody's in. There's going to be a long, dull, not a lot happening here over the next month or so in terms of coverage. I think. Actually, I hope. I hope. And actually, it's great that we get to cover it as little as we want because we get to make that decision. Anyway, a lot more on the way that's not presidential politics. Stay here. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
What in the world's going on at the border? Remember all the hubbub around Title 42 going away and the record numbers we we're setting week after week after week of people coming across illegally and escaping into the United States? We'll check in on that. It's an interesting story. Nobody seems to be exactly sure why the numbers are what they are. We'll have that in just a little bit. Also, what is the average wedding cost as June is? Is June still wedding season? Is that still a thing or is that like outdated? Do you know, Michael? You I think did, it's still a thing, yeah. You got married in June, didn't you? No, no. We no. went October because it was oh, so that's expensive. Right. In June. You got to be, that's a good idea. Well, a lot of people are apparently trying to come up with ways to save money as the average wedding is now $30,000 for the average. We'll go through the breakdown of that in a little bit. But first this, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Today is National VCR Day, whatever the heck that means, so this. The HR7100 video recorder from JVC, a 10-day timer and full-function remote control. The new Sony Betamax SL5000. It even has remote control and beta scan. The Sony Betamax is only $699. Radio Shack has something for everyone, like this compact VHS VCR with 13-function wireless remote control for just $449.95. Buy the Sanyo Model 3900 for only $599 with high-speed search in forward and reverse, instant freeze framing, remote control, fast rewind, records programs up to three days in advance. Wow, that was uh, that was <laughs> that tickled the memory, didn't it? If you're of a certain age, if you're under like I don't know what forty five, forty, and it has means nothing to you. But man, the Sony Betamax costs like seven hundred bucks even back in the day. Thing was the size of a horse. Do you remember that? I had a buddy who had one. It was huge, and the ten uh, day programmable thing. Yeah, you had to be a an MIT scientist to figure out how to program one of those things and make it actually work correctly. But that revolutionized entertainment when the VCR finally came out, came out when I was a young man and I could record Letterman while I was at work and come home and watch it. Cause up till then kids, if a TV show was on at eight o'clock, you either better be sitting in front of your TV at eight o'clock or you just weren't going to see it. And there was no way to see it after it aired. You just missed it, and it was over, and it was gone into the ether forever, unless it was in a rerun this summer. Man. Uh, Of course, back then, before we could record all the TV shows and had smartphones and computers everything like that, we spent a lot more time talking to each other and a lot less time committing suicide or doing fentanyl. So perhaps it was better. There's that. The Department of Homeland Security... Announced yesterday with their end of the month of May numbers. Just having to think what month comes before this one. May is the answer. Uh, that arrests along the southern border dropped by 70% since the end of Title 42 last month. Remember, everybody was predicting, including the President of the United States, it wasn't just a you know, Republican scare tactic or something like that. Democrats were bracing for and trying to lay the groundwork for the expectations of there being just an unbelievable surge at the border. Remember when Joe Biden said it's going to be chaotic for a while? Well, it it wasn't. So we're setting records month after month, week after week, day after day of people crossing the border. It looked like thousands and thousands of people were lined up at the border ready to cross the day that Title 42 expired. And what has happened? A drop by 70%. Border officials reported record numbers of crossing attempts just before the pandemic era policy uh, ended. 
and then it expired, and the administration replaced it with the more restrictions for migrants seeking entry and tougher penalties, in, a, in which we mocked, and I thought were mockable, but that's worked, I guess. The tougher penalties, I'm not exactly sure why they worked, because we don't actually follow through on any of these things. Uh, Border Patrol agents who had been nabbing 10,000 people a day along the southwestern border right before the end of Title 42 are now averaging 3,400 a day since it ended, from 10,000 to 3,400 a day. Now, 10,000 was an insane number, like just cuckoo bananas, what country allows that as a number? 3,400 is still nuts, but it's a heck of a lot better and step in the right direction. Not even close to what we should be at. Customs and Border Protection officers who manned the border crossings recorded another 1,370 migrants a day for a total of about uh, close to 5,000 a day. So we still have 5,000 a day that they're nabbing. I don't know how many people are getting across that they don't nab. Of course, those numbers are impossible to know for obvious reasons. Uh, Another... Uh, 1,000 unauthorized migrants per day were allowed to enter via airports as part of the government's new program for Venezuelans, Cubans, Haitians, and Nicaraguans. That, that's kind of a slightly separate situation. Um, that program, by the way, on its own, has allowed 1.5 million people since October of 2021 to come in, which is obviously a very big number. Um, Homeland Security did not give a breakdown of the repatriations that's the number of people that we send back to their country so it's not clear how many people were formally deported not a surprise that homeland security did not offer up those numbers because i'm guessing they're not the sort of thing that would make them look good it's likely that many of these um that are known as what uh, as voluntary returns where a migrant is caught and agrees to be pushed back across the border without a formal deportation then are free to try to enter again. Um, it's not expected that a whole lot of people do that. Really? Hmm. I'll be darned. So people who have taken the initiative, the agency of their own lives, to try to cross the border to, to pick up and leave everything they've known to start a brand new life, you uh, tell them to go across the border on their own whenever you get around to it, and uh, the belief is that a lot of the people aren't following through with that. That is shocking. I don't know if I can stand the reality of that. I don't know. Do you have a guess why the numbers dropped so much? Everybody's guessing. Our text line, 415-295-KFTC. So I got a buddy. His oldest daughter is getting married here soon, and he's very excited. But he did hit me with a text the other day of, he can't believe how expensive it is. He's doing the kind of traditional thing of dad of the bride pays for the wedding. I don't know how, I don't know if, is that the norm or does that happen with most people? That's or generally the norm, yeah. Is it? That, does that actually happen? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know these things. But um, after two years of pandemic restrictions on most weddings around the country, now we're back to normal weddings and the cost is higher than it's ever been. Of course, with inflation, this is not surprising. Couples spent on average $30,000 per wedding to get hitched last year. That was up two grand from 2021 um we can go through the breakdown of some of the costs man that's a lot of money thirty thousand dollars as a divorced guy i have no advice to give on weddings or marriages whatsoever uh obviously but man that's a lot of money weddings in the united states and 14 other countries that were surveyed are getting smaller 
and relying on more vendors as couples contend with rising prices for food, flowers, and staff, the survey found. So the price is at an all-time high of an average of $30,000, even though they're inviting fewer people. Weddings look different than they did before uh, and during the pandemic, which is why they're calling 2023 the year of transformation, said somebody from The Knot. Is it? Is anybody calling it the year of transformation? Is there any of your friends saying that? Um, inflation is the main reason, according to uh, brides and grooms they talk to. Other countries don't spend as much on weddings, according to this. Like in Europe, they spend significantly less on average on their marriages. I wonder what that means culturally. I don't know. Is there a good survey ever done of the uh, divorce rate or happiness quotient of marriages in connection to the amount of money that you spent? Like uh, the more money you spend, is it more likely you're happy and stay together or less likely? I don't actually know. I have guesses. But again, as a divorce guy, I have no business weighing in probably whatsoever. Um, According to the survey, couples in the United States hired an average of 14 vendors. Different vendors that you got it like so you got a different person for flowers, different person for food, different person for the uh, photography, sound, all these different things. Fourteen vendors on average last year compared compared to ten worldwide. So we hire more people and spend more money on our weddings. Do you think there's any relationship between the amount of money spent and the likelihood of staying married or being happy? Also, a text line question at four one five two nine five KFTC. All I know is thirty grand is a ton of money, and my buddy was right. Yeah, man is getting married, and what? It's such. A, it's. I think it's kind of like the vet does. I think the vet does sometimes. They try to figure out like how much you love your animal, and you'd be willing to pay before they tell you what it's going to cost. I think they do the same thing with like dads and 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 daughters. Ah, let's see, what did you drive? How are you dressed? What kind of watch are you wearing? Do you seem like the kind of guy? Well, then this, then this is what it costs to have a wedding. Otherwise, it costs this. You going to tell me that doesn't happen? If you missed a shit an hour of the show, grab the podcast. Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention about the whole Chris Christie thing. So there, there's some belief that the Republican Party um, made the rules the way they did for getting on the debate stage. The number of donors you need to have from however many different states and all that sort of stuff to keep Chris Christie off the stage because they're, they're, they're worried that he will go on and uh, bludgeon the heck out of some of the other candidates. I don't know if I buy that because I think the only candidate he's really out to bludgeon is Donald Trump. And I think the RNC is going to be trying to keep Trump from being the nominee, but I'm not sure about that either. Anyway, one of the requirements for all of them is you have to take a pledge that uh, if you're not the nominee, you pledge to support, endorse, whatever that it means, the uh, Republican nominee. And if you'll remember famously, uh, I think it was the very first debate when Trump ran the first time around, they said, will everyone endorse the uh, nominee, whoever it is? And the only one who didn't raise his hand out of 100 people was Donald Trump saying it depends. And um, and he's been saying the same thing this time around. So uh, it's not only Donald Trump you have to wonder if he would support the nominee. How about the other candidates that have been saying that Donald Trump is unfit, like Chris Christie? So Chris Christie was asked on the whole pledge thing. 
He said, I'll be on the debate stage and I will take the pledge that the RNC puts in front of me just as seriously as Trump did in 2015-2016. And uh, one pundit tweeted out, I wonder how the RNC is going to handle that. Yeah, (laughs) Chris Christie isn't going to pledge to support Donald Trump either. So I don't know. That whole thing may have gone out the window already. Different topic. That dam blew up in Ukraine. It was in Russia controlled Ukraine uh, at the time. And the New York Times is out with a story today saying it happened from the inside of the dam. And our intelligence believes it was the Russians that did it. But here's a little bit on the, uh, I believe, uh, ABC News report on this yesterday. To catastrophe unfolding on Ukraine's southern front line. Explosions rupturing the Novokhovka Dam, running across Ukraine's vast Dnipro River. Water cascading through, causing widespread flooding, sparking fresh concerns about the safety of Europe's largest nuclear power plant. War-ravaged communities now underwater. Ukrainian officials working to evacuate thousands of people. Fears of an ecological disaster, with water contamination threatening a vast ecosystem system. Ukraine accusing Russian forces who control the area around the dam of deliberately blowing it up. Ukraine's top diplomat saying the Kremlin did it to disrupt a Ukrainian advance. Today, the Kremlin blaming Ukraine. The White House not able to say conclusively what happened. Um, The National Review has got a story out today. The Ukrainian dam is an atrocity, not a disaster, with a lot of people referring to it as a disaster like something that just happens. And it wasn't something that just happened. It was a an act of war and an illegal act of war, if that matters at all at this point, and I'm not sure that it does. It was an atrocity, not a disaster. Uh, ABC goes on with the report on this. The ruptured dam normally holding back as much water as Utah's Great Salt Lake in a 150-mile-long reservoir, supplying drinking water and hydroelectricity to the region and water to cool the reactors of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant upriver. The UN's nuclear watchdog saying in just two days' time, there might not be enough water left in the reservoir to replenish water reserves at the nuclear plant. But the facility has its own storage of water to hopefully remain safe for months. So the New York Times out with the latest story, as I mentioned, their reporting is that our intelligence says it was the Russians that blew it up. And all there are all kinds of reasons it would be the Russians. And there's no reason that makes any sense why the Ukrainians would want to blow this up themselves, since it is going to hamper their counteroffensive attempts to cross the river and flooding a bunch of their towns. As it says in the New York Times, it just keeps coming. Rescuers reaching inundated neighborhoods, low-lying areas of Kherson, where water was absolutely, well, their homes are completely underwater, and uh, towns just disappearing in the flood. Um, Tucker Carlson, though, you remember him? He used to have the number one show in all of cable news. And then he dropped a C-bomb on one of his own executives, according to reports, and that got him fired from Fox. But he is back now, apparently, with his Twitter show or Twitter segments or however however he's going to do it. He is not buying the uh, narrative that I just laid out about the dam there in Ukraine. And I'm, I'm just kind of interested in this as a guy who watched Tucker every single night. This is kind of the first time he's back since he got fired, commenting on the news today. How about clip 30 there, Michael? The Kokovka Dam was effectively Russian. It was built by the Russian government. It currently sits in Russian-controlled territory. 
The dam's reservoir supplies water to Crimea, which has been, for the last 240 years, home of the Russian Black Sea Fleet. Blowing up the dam may be bad for Ukraine, but it hurts Russia more. And for precisely that reason, the Ukrainian government has considered destroying it. In December, the Washington Post quoted a Ukrainian general saying his men had fired American-made rockets at the dam's floodgate as a test strike. So really, once the facts start coming in, it becomes much less of a mystery what might have happened to the dam. Any fair person would conclude that the Ukrainians probably blew it up, just as you would assume they blew up Nord Stream, the Russian natural gas pipeline, last fall. And in fact, the Ukrainians did do that, as we now know. It's not like Vladimir Putin is anxious to wage war on himself. Oh, So there you go, uh, Tucker as he often does, taking the counter view to, uh, to, to, to what most people are taking. And um, the, the information did come out a couple of days ago that we have intelligence that shows the Ukrainians did blow up the Nord Stream pipeline and that we knew about it actually for a while, that they were planning on it and apparently didn't do a lot to stop them. But I remember at the time... We thought, well, you could see why the Ukrainians might want to do that. It was it was not that hard to come up with a reason why that might benefit them to blow that up. It is impossible, to my mind, to come up with a reason why they would want to blow up this dam. And I'm looking at the video here of some of the towns that are just, I mean, the water is up to the roofs. Roofs. Is it roofs or roofs? I'm, do you know, Michael? I believe it's roofs. Katie Green, you're our expert news person. What's I'm, the plural of roofs? Oh, is it roofs? I've been saying roofs. Oh, it's probably that then. I'm I'm back. I'm hoping. Did, but, did you, but did you know this? We learned this a couple of years ago. Did you know that the plural of beef is beeves? <laughs> it actually is. Look it up. It's roofs. We're wrong. R O O F S. Wow. Roofs. So mm. it's roofs, but beeves. I've got a beef with you. Actually, I have several beeves with you. Is the, is the actual pro- proper grammar on that? But it's roofs. Okay. Roofs, yes. Okay, well, thank you for that. The water is up to the roofs there in a lot of Ukraine. It's hard to imagine how that benefits the Ukrainians. Um, but there you go. So Tucker is back, and I don't know. Well, I, I myself, as a viewer, I got to ask myself. So I watched at least the first segment of Tucker every single night for the last several years. Didn't always agree with he, what he said. Very clever writer. Often hilarious. Will I check him out if he starts to have regular Twitter content? I don't even know if I will or not, uh, but I'll report back. Uh, and if he says anything uh, insightful and hilarious, we'll have that for you, as we always did. Stay with us. Much more on the way. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, um, I think I called uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. a nut job earlier in the show, and I suppose I will stand by that. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I don't. Know. I'm kind of flighty that way. But uh, he is talking. He was on Mike Tyson's. Yes, Mike Tyson has a podcast. And if you're running for president, you need to go on the Mike Tyson podcast, like RFK Jr. did. And he was talking about how the CIA killed his dad. Um. In 1968, uh, on yesterday's date, actually, was the anniversary. I suppose that's why he was talking about it. Anyway, uh, there's no other indication that the CIA did kill his dad, and I think it's a bit of a weird conspiracy theory. But one of the reasons that a lot of people are gravitating toward RFK Jr. is he is a, we're going we're gonna to control the border. We're not going to let people just cross the border guy. And here he is with a video that he released on Twitter. He's down at the border near Yuma, Arizona. Uh, watching people come across the border. We've watched about 150 people come across in the last hour. The first group were about uh, 50 or 60 people from Africa, from West Africa. This group that is filing behind me right now, we interviewed many of them. Uh, They're from Peru, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, India, China, Tibet, Nepal, and all together, uh, people have come across right here from 117 nations in the last couple of years. 
You know, if he would lay off the stuff about the CIA killing his dad, I think he would give an e- get an even bigger foothold than he's already gotten. And he has a pretty good foothold, toehold, uh, at about 20% that he's polling among people running against their own party's leader. Yeah, that doesn't usually happen. But uh, he's right about everything he said there at the border. And it's crazy that we allow that to happen. So we'll see how much attention he gets for that. Um, I don't know if I have time to get into this in full here, but man, I got deep into this article yesterday. I've talked a lot about, uh, people I know, well, I'll be vague for now. People I know and are close to me that have had all kinds of different therapy about all kinds of different issues over a number of years and, uh, I'm not a therapy is useless guy, but I'll tell you what, a lot of it isn't. A lot of it doesn't get you anything. It costs a lot of money. You take a lot of time. You got a lot of emotion tied up in the idea of it's going to help you or your brother or your kid or whatever else. And a lot of times it doesn't. Like I said, I'm not a blanket. It's worthless guy. But anyway, I was reading this article, the psychotherapy myth, and I'll just read it and you can determine for yourself. Contrary to the claims of the psychotherapy myth, humans can be resilient and tough-minded. They can suffer the slings and arrows of life without expensive interventions from experts. It lists the movies, TV shows, actors, actresses, songs, everything. From the chatter at cocktail parties to the advertisements on popular podcasts, therapy pervades modern culture. And with it, a myth, the psychotherapy myth. Like other myths, the psychotherapy myth is not the product of one or even a few geniuses. And talk about Freud and this, that. It lingers over our culture. We breathe it from birth. It is so ubiquitous, it is virtually invisible. Indeed, many who have absorbed it and whose worldviews are shaped by it would not explicitly endorse it, may not even ex- and may even explicitly reject it. It's just a part of the air we breathe, the food we eat now, the idea that if something bad happens in your life, well, I'll just read what they say. The chief content of this myth is that people often cannot process or work through adverse events and traumas, abuses, breakups, firings, humiliations, and sometimes even repress the memories because they are too painful for the psyche to assimilate. But repressed or poorly processed traumas do not simply subside. They fester, they spread, they cause other psychological pain, maladaptive behaviors. You know, you're going to drink, you're going to drug, you're going to eat too much, you're going to take it out on your next relationship, all these different sorts of things. These are unhealed psychic wounds, and that the only way you can get past these things is by paying a trained professional. And... I uh, read that article and then looked at some of the feedback um, on the comment section on Twitter and various other places where people were commenting on this. And I just wonder if we if the pendulum is starting to swing back a little bit from the everything bad that ever happens to you in your life needs to be dealt with through therapy to a maybe this is just part of life. Human beings have evolved to uh, be able to handle this sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, it's just a process that everyone has to go through. Find it fascinating that uh, maybe the most famous proponent of therapy, if you're my age, was Woody Allen. All Woody Allen movies in the 70s 
revolved around him laying on a couch talking to a therapist, right? His memoir that came out a couple of years ago where he says after, I think he said, 60 years of therapy? He said after 60 years of therapy, he's not sure it's done him one bit of good. (laughs) I thought that was pretty fascinating. And I certainly know plenty of people, and again, I'll be vague for, uh, for, for, for reasons I can't even get into, about people I know really, really well who've had a lot of therapy around a lot of issues and and would also say they're not sure it's done any good. Are we designed to be able to handle getting our heart broken or losing a job or something much worse than that? Um, you know, a, a death, a trauma of some sort on our own and be able to survive it? I think I think it's got to be true that most of the time, yes, right? Most of the time? I certainly would never say all of the time. There aren't horrifying things that... Or certain personality types that need trained professionals. Of course, finding a trained professional that is going to help you is a whole nother category. There's an awful lot of trained professionals out there that mm, just aren't that good. Some of them are good, some of them aren't. The ones that are good make a lot of money. Uh, actually, the ones that aren't very good, I think, probably can make a lot of money, too. The Because of what that article talks about, because it pervades our society so much, and it's just a an accepted belief everywhere that the answer for whatever problem is going on in you know your life, your family's life, whatever, is that you need some trained therapist. They're so busy. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. The Wall Street Journal had an article about it. Hardly anybody takes insurance anymore. They take cash only. They don't have to. They can, they can work as many hours. Most therapists can work as many hours as they want to because they have so many clients coming to them because of this universal belief that we all need this for whatever thing has happened in our lives. And uh, uh, at least for now, unless the pendulum does swing back, you want a career where you're going to be able to uh, make a living, probably practically anywhere you want to live, get some sort of whatever degree you got to get in uh, being a therapist. Um, because at least for now, there are way more people seeking therapy that can then can find it. And again, you don't have to take insurance and you, 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 you work as many hours as you want to, but. I don't know. I'd be interested in people weighing in on this. Um, if you think it, you think it was absolutely indispensable in your life, or your kid's life, or your mom's life, the therapy, feel free to argue for that. Or the other side, if you feel like you've uh, tried it a whole bunch and you'd have been just as fine getting through it on your own, or just talking to friends about it. Uh, that's how I got started on this story. More on that in a second. Here's the text line, 415-295-KFTC. 415-295-KFTC. I got started on this story. I was reading last night. I came across this headline where there is some belief now that this big move toward needing a therapist, everybody needing a therapist, is that we're all so disconnected that we don't have any friends that we talk to. So, uh, throughout history, perhaps human beings got through various slings and arrows of life that everybody suffers by having a group of friends or family members that they talk to and talking therapy just kind of happened with those people and you were able to get through it. And now, especially with younger people that you have no real connections, you have a, you're, you got some people that you text or, uh, you know, some Facebook friends that you check out their profile on, on a regular basis, but no people that you actually get together with and talk to regularly. Um, we're hiring therapists just to be that family member, to be that friend that we used to talk to. 
Remember when I got my gallbladder out a couple of years ago? Just coincidentally, I had a couple of friends in town, and we ended up talking a lot at the high, uh, at the hospital. A couple of my good friends. And we agreed in both cases that we needed to do this more often, that we both enjoyed it so much, and it was so much different than the regular texting that we had been doing to stay in touch. Human beings need to talk to their friends and family about the things going on in their life. And it's just hugely helpful. I could easily believe that a lot of therapy is paying to have that friendship, that family member conversation. Anyway, agree or disagree? I'd be interested in your point of view on this and your experience. Text line 415-295-KFTC. 415-295-KFTC. number of people got into the presidential race. We ought to at least hear their opening pitch. At some point, maybe an hour three. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast Armstrong and Getty on demand. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.